Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is Pentecost. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on those running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I am Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. All right, from the top, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is the day in the church year that we celebrate the birth of the church. The birth of the church. So what it means... Not Christmas, not Easter, the birth of the church is Pentecost. Correct. Oh my, okay. Because Jesus's birthday is Christmas. Sure. Right? Not actual calendar day, but... Sure. Observed. And Easter is resurrection... But the actual birth of the church, when the church itself, the people are empowered, happens on Pentecost. That sounds important. Why don't we know more about it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the challenge with that is, is that it's always the beginning of summer. Uh, Oh, okay. Now it makes sense. Right? Make more sense that people may not know very much about it because it's 50 days after Easter. Okay. And that number seems significant. Why? Well, Pent. Oh, five. Okay. Right? So 50 days after Easter is Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. And it's recorded in the book of Acts is where you read about this. Okay. And what happens is, so you have like the Easter stuff happens. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is killed and then rises again on the third day. And then he hangs out with everybody for a little while. Mm -hmm. And they do things like eat meals together and... They're told, you're going to do great. Things are going to really suck for a while, but you're still going to do great. Sure. Okay. Pep talk. Right. A little little pep talk. And then Jesus promises them that they're going to have a companion to help them, an advocate, someone who will stand alongside and speak on their behalf and work with them. Do they know yet that Jesus is cutting out? He then lets them know he's going to be leaving. Oh, okay. I am going to the Father, right? He says, I'm leaving. But I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to send you this spirit that will be with you. Okay. The end of the book of Matthew records what is called the Great Commission. Okay. And Jesus says, go therefore and baptize all the nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you unto the ends of the age. And then Jesus ascends. So according to the scripture... He flies up into the heavens. Oh, fancy. Fancy schmancy. So there's lots of fun pictures of this. Lots of artwork has been created to sure, show the ascension. Sure. Different things like that. So it's got a great name in German. What is it in German? Christy Himmelfart. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sticks in your head. That does stick in your head. That's, That's a good one. So uh, Ascension Day happens and Jesus leaves. And then the disciples are kind of hanging out on earth without Jesus and without anything. And they're... I'm guessing a little freaked out. A little freaked out. They, they're told to go to Jerusalem and wait there for this thing that will happen. Okay. So the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem and it's 50 days. so about a month and a half after Jesus has died and resurrected. Okay. And it's early in the morning. Not even nine o'clock in the morning yet. And people are all gathered up together. And all of a sudden, this wind comes rushing through the area. And the disciples who are present, the tongues of flame land on their heads. 
Okay. Now, the Greek, I have a dear friend, Pastor Megan Rohr from San Francisco, who, if you watch any of our Bible study that doesn't suck uh-huh. on Pentecost, and we've been doing BSTDS for years and years now. So there are several different episodes of BSTDS on Pentecost. Okay. And I will always say tongues of flame, like flame out their heads, like they're a birthday candle and there's a flame on top of their heads. Oh no, that's just a fun image. Fun image. She says no. Megan will always say no, that what it is, is multiple tongues. Like how flames have different like... Sure tongues to it, but that the people had many tongues in their mouth, that they were speaking with many different tongues. Oh, no, that's a much creepier version. I think I like the birthday candle a lot better. (laughs) So do I. But the reason why it matters is because what happens is when this wind comes blowing and these tongues of flame or these flaming tongues happen, the disciples start to be understood in any language. Okay. So what that means is they start telling the story of Jesus in the public area, and they're telling it in the way that all of the hearts of the people who are hearing can understand and hear the story. Well, especially at the time, that's like the world's best Google translator, right? Totally. And I have to wonder, were they actually speaking every single language? Or are they speaking in a way that... You know how you can meet someone and not speak their language, but Mm -hmm. you can totally get to the heart of something and you can understand each other Mm -hmm. because you're talking about the things that are true and that matter and that are deep and kind of surpass language. Mm -hmm. So it says in the scripture, here's this huge conglomerate and it lists all these different kinds of people, the Medes and the people from Egypt and the people from Mesopotamia and the people from Phrygia and all over the place. They're all speaking to us in our own tongues, in our own language, and we can hear and we can understand the story. How is this possible? So that's the miracle of Pentecost. And in some ways, it's the reverse of the Tower of Babel, Mm -hmm. right? So the Tower of Babel is this Old Testament story where the people think that they can build a tower and overtake God. And so they work together to build this tower. And in order to cut them down to size or to make it, you know, less possible, the tower is knocked down and all of them begin to speak different languages. So they can't communicate with each other as well. And they can't overtake the world because they can't work together as well. Mm -hmm. And so this gift at Pentecost, where they speak all the languages of the world and everyone can understand each other, it's like the total opposite of the Tower of Babel the undoing of that, because they can now understand one another in each other's hearts. And so some of the people say, they've got to be drunk. How is this possible? Sure. And Peter responds back saying, no, these people are not drunk. It's not even 9 a.m. It's one of the best lines in the Bible. One of the best lines we actually read on Sunday morning, (laughs) right? No, these people are not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. We've got to wait till at least 10. But this is happening because of the power of Jesus Christ and his story and our God that has the story to give us. And on that day, 5,000 people are baptized and come to believe in the story of Jesus. And so that is the day that the church was born because we go from 12 sure. to 5,000. Grown by leaps and bounds. Huge, right? So... For church, we celebrate Pentecost 50 days after Easter. 
and it's a really fun day. Oftentimes, you're encouraged in liturgical traditions to wear red. For fire. For fire, exactly. So the color of the Holy Spirit in the liturgical tradition is red. So there are two days of the church year when you wear red. Pentecost, and if you are Lutheran, Reformation Sunday. That's it, huh? That's it, which is a bummer. And for ordinations. Okay. Ordinations are red. And so oftentimes pastors, one of their coolest stoles that they're given is red because it's their ordination, ordination stole. One, and you only get to wear it a couple times. Oh, I see that's here. just cruel. <laughs> totally. So my favorite, probably my favorite stole is my ordination stole and get to wear it twice a year. Oh, man. So you're definitely not going to give up the pulpit on Pentecost. Except I am this year. Oh, no. (laughs) Because it's this weekend and I'll be in Seattle. Ah, bummer. For the big preaching conference. But the other time that you can have red for your color for the church day is if you're celebrating a saint today. Okay. So because we say that the Holy Spirit particularly blessed those saints. And so when we have a saint feast day, you can wrap your sanctuary in red as well. So if you're really bored through the summer months and you've been like green for four months already and you're kind of bored already and you really want something different. You're going to pick a saint and go for it? You can pick a saint day (laughs) (laughs) and mess up your altar guild and make them change all the banners for a day. Nice. I I did know the color thing because I actually went to a wedding that happened to be on Pentecost and they had asked everybody to wear red. That's awesome. Which was kind of fun. Yeah. But I don't remember that from a Catholic tradition. It might not be. It's definitely part of the Lutheran tradition. It's a lot of fun to wear flame colors. And Reformation Sunday is that day where we also kind of really own the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where those flame colors come back in again. Sure. So is there anything else that's different about the service on Pentecost? It depends upon the congregation. Sometimes all the music will have something to do with the Holy Spirit. So the theme is pretty obvious oftentimes in the hymnody. The very first Pentecost I attended was in my congregation in California that sponsored me through my ordination. And it was a great congregation, Peace Lutheran in Danville, California. And they had a fire bowl. A fire bowl? Yeah. So it's a it's a bowl that you actually put flammables into and then you light it and then you carry the fire around. Nice. So I got to process in with the big fire bowl with flames leaping everywhere. And Way we, better than a candle. We sang Veni Sancte Spiritus, which sure. is like a Tizé piece. And so we sang that and marched around the congregation three times with the big flaming pot. And yeah, it was pretty cool. Excellent. So it depends on your congregation and what materials you have available to you. I think we have a fireball, but I think it's like a fire pit, like in one of the many storage places here in this building. Sure. I've seen a big brass bowl that I think is probably for the Easter Vigil fire. Oh, interesting. And that would be outside, but not one to carry on the inside. Oh, only if you're brave. (laughs) Foolish. Foolish. No one checking the fire code while you're in there. (laughs) So I'm guessing any denomination that follows any sort of liturgical schedule is going to celebrate Pentecost then? I would assume so. I don't know specifically. I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert on other denominations' patterns, but Pentecost is a pretty fun thing to celebrate. It's a big marker of the church year. It's a big festival day. So we have the day of Pentecost and that kicks us then into the season after Pentecost, otherwise known as ordinary time. 
So you can learn more about the whole church calendar year going back way back to some of our first podcasts. We did a whole podcast about the church calendar year. And the season of Easter is then ended by Pentecost and Trinity Sunday. And then we head into the long season after Pentecost, which is green liturgically. Mm -hmm. Green forever. And ever. So then how do we get from this image of community, people speaking other languages, into what we think of as a Pentecostal denomination, which has different overtones to it? Well, Pentecostalism in our understanding, and and I would say our by being North American Portland folks. Sure. It's still a similar feel to it, right? So Pentecostals in North America, in the United States specifically, are a movement who rely strongly on the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit and on the proclamation of tongues and the ability to speak in the tongues of angels, right? So it's a movement that really prioritizes the gifts of the Holy Spirit as a way of showing your faith and showing your capacity to be saved. Okay. It's a very different focus than Lutheran theology. I would say not that Lutherans don't believe in the Holy Spirit. We do believe in the Holy Spirit. We just really don't like paying a lot of attention to it because it's messy. And we like things in nice little boxes that we can repeat. Sure. And the Holy Spirit doesn't really do that. It's a much more fluid thing and less easy to control and make sure that it's behaving and pulling out the right colors for the right season. So we don't have a strong focus on the Holy Spirit in the Lutheran tradition in the way that a tradition that is more free-formed or less about structure, less about repetitive pattern, whose worship is more kind of letting it fly and letting it be what it will be as opposed to following a structured pattern that repeats. So Pentecostals live into that Holy Spirit a little more. Okay. I want to get back to one other thing you said earlier in that Jesus had told the disciples that this companion is coming with. Were they expecting a person? I don't know. And then they got an amorphous thing. Right. Wouldn't that be frustrating? I'd be a little frustrated. Yeah. I think I'd probably be a little more than frustrated. But I don't know. It's not clear because the Gospels were written 30, 60, 90 years after the death of Christ Uh and after the events that had already occurred. People had come to already accept this idea of the amorphous Holy Spirit companion, right? Because it had already been time had gone by. If you look into Paul's writings, there might be a little bit more capacity to kind of see whether or not the Holy Spirit was really getting talked about a lot, because Paul's writings are actually earlier than the Gospels are written down. And so those letters from Paul are a bit earlier. Okay. And the theology and the understanding of that companion, that Holy Spirit, was kind of finding the words to explain it within the time of Paul and then as the Gospels were written. So there's no talk about that in the Gospel of Mark. Okay. And that's the earliest gospel that we have. Now, if I'm wrong, and someone hears me say there's no talk of the Holy Spirit in the gospel of Mark, and I'm wrong, then correct me. Yeah, let us know. Let me know. Go ahead and go on Facebook, you know, find us and correct me. But I can't think off the top of my head 
of any specific reference to the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Mark. Now, by the time Matthew gets there, absolutely it's there, because we have in the Great Commission baptized them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? It's there. So it's something that was kind of finding the language to explain it Okay, in those early church years. But they knew what it was when it came. I think that when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, when you have an encounter with that kind of draw, pull, inexplicable force that you kind of know it's happening. Okay. And it's hard to explain. And in a scientific age, when we really look down on unexplainable events or, you know, woo-woo stuff or things that sound too new agey, like ways that we can put things down from a scientific perspective. Mm -hmm. And even from an academic perspective, perspective. I think Lutherans tend to kind of try to explain away the Holy Spirit because we're such an academic tradition. We really like things that we can have a test on. Mm -hmm. And you can't with the Holy Spirit. It's an experience. It's a living, breathing, indescribable companion that is present but not seeable. And that gets really hard to describe in a rational way. Oh, sure. All right. Then last question. Do you have a favorite moment from a Pentecost service? And I'm guessing it's going to involve fire. <laughs> I did love the fire bowl. But actually, I this is one of those cases where I've used a sermon twice. Oh, okay. So last week when we talked about sermons, mm-hmm. right? And I said, sometimes there's ones that are pretty good and I'm pretty proud of and I want to use it again. I did a Pentecost sermon right towards the end of my ministry at my first call. And I actually reused that sermon here at Central. Yeah. And it's the balloon sermon. Oh, that is a good one. Right. (laughs) Thank you for reusing that. It's really fun. Yeah. So the whole idea, and if you're out there and you want to use this, go right ahead. It's a fun resource. It's a really fun sermon to do. And it involves going and finding a whole bunch of red and yellow and orange balloons, Mm -hmm. making sure that no one has a latex allergy. Oh, yes. Who's there in the congregation, because if the balloon hits them, that could hurt them and you don't want that. And then having some fun, blowing up balloons and then letting them fly. I still have balloons in my house from that. That's awesome. (laughs) When you have a young girl, she's not going to let those go. That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And, And if you can, get people to take pictures or video during the moment when the congregation lets them fly. It is such a joyful and silly and beautiful experience. And people really... They aren't paying attention to themselves. They're watching the balloons. And so it's uncensored beauty and joy. Okay, so for those of you who weren't there, I don't think we actually described this well enough because you and I were both there, so we're talking about it, (laughs) but we haven't actually described what it is. What you had done is given everybody a balloon and you had us blow it up but not let it go until a certain point in the sermon. And that, when everybody lets it go at the same time and they're flying through the air, that was a pretty spectacular moment. It's pretty delightful. And they're making the silly sound. Absolutely. And they're uncontrollable and they fly really high and they go all over the place. And it's this idea that you can't see air, but that it can fill something up and it can give it direction. Mm -hmm. And it can send it flying with great delight and joy. And that's kind of like the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You can't know that it's there specifically, but it can fill up a person 
and send them out with great joy and delight in wonderful ways. And so it's a really fun one. The video of it should be up on my word balancing blog. Okay. So if you're finding us at Church Basement on our website at centralportland.org, we'll have a link there that you can watch the video if you would like. It's a fun sermon. I heartily encourage you recycling that one as much as you want to. (laughs) Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about Pentecost. I look forward to sitting down with you another time on another topic. As do I, and a blessed Pentecost to all of you. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit and be sent out with giggles and delight into the year that is ahead of you. We look forward to hearing from you. Feel free to email us at podcast at centralportland.org. Visit us on Facebook and uh, let us know what you think. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.